0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Welcome to the the Bulls Bulls Beat Podcast Show. show. The Chicago Chicago Bulls Bulls Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. Plenty to talk about on this show. Uh, First, we're going to get into Scotty Pippen on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King. There was a media clip that was going around that was edited showing... LeBron James is the greatest statistical player to ever play the game, and Michael Jordan is a horrible basketball player. Scottie Pippen did say both those things. He didn't say them together. The context in which he said them made them a little less bad. Stacey King was defending him on Twitter for saying it. But it was still pretty bad. And the thing I think is interesting about this, and I'm not going to get into the ridiculousness of Scottie Pippen saying these things, because whatever, the thing about LeBron I think is true, LeBron is going to accumulate, like, this, just amazing stats in terms of statistical totals. So, you know, that's just kind of true. It's like the longevity thing. Greatest scorer in terms of total points ever already happened. So that's just kind of one of those, like, a non-statement. The Jordan being a horrible basketball player thing is clearly, like, out of context in terms of, yeah, he was still obviously a good basketball player, but he just thought he was a horrible teammate, I think, is what he meant. But, you know, not for me to figure out. It doesn't matter. Scotty has been saying lousy things about Jordan for a long time. And I think what really happened here with everyone on the Bulls that were kind of like from that generation of team, they were all sort of going along. Everything is fine. Like no one likes Jordan in the moment, right? He's just kind of crazy, maniacal, you know, whatever, a little bit diva-ish. But they're getting a lot out of being with Jordan, right? You know, it's like you're the Beatles, even if you're the, the fifth Beatle, who cares? You know, you're the Beatles and you're just touring everyone. Everyone loves you. You have all this extra fame compared to if you were a player on a different team, you get to win titles. So there's like all these benefits you're getting and you can put up with all the lousy stuff that Jordan is. Now the last dance comes out and all of a sudden it's like painted as like Jordan was the center of everything. Jordan did everything. These guys who thought like well, we were a team and a team did this and a team did that. And now it's kind of being portrayed as like Jordan was better than the team. And, you know, and Jordan came out and said like, yeah, you can't say Michael Jordan without saying Scotty Pippen. I wouldn't have won these rings without Pippen. But the whole docu-series was still about how great Jordan is in Jordan's path. And, you know, it did go into these other guys, but it, painted Jordan as the hero and that was an accurate portrayal of what really happened you know in a large degree like Jordan was the difference maker if you're listening to this podcast you're pretty deep into basketball and you know it's like a superstar league you know Jordan could have won with a lot of different guys uh, Scotty Pippen probably could have won as a number two with a number of different stars too not nearly as many as with Jordan because Jordan was the best but he probably could have been a number two with another star and won one I think, like, if Scottie Pippen had teamed up with Hakeem in his prime, you know, I think they still would have won titles. So, you know, he, he still do But everyone else in that team, like, yeah, OK, you, you guys were generally replaceable, you know, with other guys. And, you know, but they, they feel more about that themselves. And so when this comes out and everything happens, everyone's like really bitter. And, and so Pippen is maybe going through the most emotionally between losing his son, yeah, you know, his ex-wife dating Michael Jordan's kid, clearly just to piss him off. And I think the one thing that's funny about this to me is like, clearly it shows that Pippin was like ranting and mad about Jordan and all this other stuff, like their whole relationship. Like he had this like long bitterness that maybe he covered up in the media and didn't go through because there's no reason his ex-wife is like, you know who I want to date in the whole world is Michael Jordan's kid. Like, yeah, I'm going to go find someone 20 years younger than me you know, in a different state and, like, whatever. No, like, that happened because she sought it out and she wanted to, like, just rub it in Scottie Pippen's face. So their divorce was obviously pretty bitter, too. But that, that's clearly why that happened, right? Like, it has to be. And so you throw that in the mix and it's like, yeah, now you, all this extra bitterness that was always there, but maybe just under the surface, you know, comes out. And so I think that's, like, this sort of interesting understory to that is I think all these guys felt that way this whole time but they just wouldn't say it. And so now they're going to say it. And they don't mind saying it. Because the last dance like pushed over the edge and into this, this point where they're like, okay, we're, we're getting nothing out of this guy. He, he basically won't even talk to us. We're not in a circle. We're no longer winning rings for him. Now we can kind of just like spout off. And the thing that's bad about it for all these guys is every time they perpetuate that kind of stuff, they, they put it out there, they just like create more news cycle that is negative for them like like all it does is make people rehash how great michael jordan is no one like listens to Scottie pippen and goes you know what pip you right michael jordan was horrible you made michael jordan thank god you were here like no one no one does that so it's like your lack of media savvy and doing all this stuff is is also crazy another funny thing just in general i was listening to the podcast on the 2x speed for a lot of it trying to get to the juicy parts and uh, if you want to listen to something really funny, listen to Stacy King on 2X. It's just hilarious. It's just like laughing maniacally at <laughs> double speed. Anyway, uh, so that's just kind of like some general thoughts. Like, I, I don't need to rehash why Jordan was really great. No one needs to hear that. But it was just, I think it's interesting to kind of think about the journey these guys went on and how they're no longer really getting anything out of him. And now they're, because of that, like they're further and further distanced from the benefits or maybe their association with Jordan with the benefits. Now, like in their head, they were more important than they were. Uh, but the, the things they didn't like are like persistently there. Like Jordan still won't talk to them. He's still not, whatever. So, anyway, uh, the thought about Derrick Rose coming here on the minimum has been floated by a few guys. Derrick Rose is going to be 35. Like, he, he couldn't play last year under Thibodeau, who's the only guy who's really ever gotten much out of him. You remember when Scottie Pippen came back? And I think it was, was 2003. Uh, or 2002, it was one of those years And they signed him to this two-year, $10 million deal And he basically paid like half of the first year And then just were like, yeah, this guy's not even worth $5 million. Not even worth a roster spot That's what it would be like if you bring Derrick Rose back now Like, he, he's just done He's just done I get that it's like nostalgic or whatever Bring him in to sign a one-day contract if you want Let him retire here But don't waste a roster spot You just, you just don't waste a roster spot. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know, like people will say, well, you know, the last guy on your bench sucks. Yeah, he does. You probably have like five guys on the inner bench that suck, but you hope one of those five turns into Caleb Martin and you'd rather have one more shot at it. Like you don't know ahead of time, which guy is going to suck. You know, you sign five guys who are like, yeah, maybe there's some upside here and you hope one of them works, but you want all five chances. And so you don't blow one of those chances just to have Derek Rose on your bench, like eat. Can't shoot anymore. Can't create anymore. Hasn't been able to defend, you know, ever since the ACL injury. It's just—it's just not a thing you want to go through. So just—just just say no to that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Lonzo medical retirement because I think it's interesting, a little bit of the mechanics. People have talked about, you know, should the Bulls go for the disabled player exception, and so I—I th- I think I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast, but I'll rehash it real quickly in case you didn't didn't hear one of those episodes. So the disabled player exception would allow them to sign a guy for half of Lonzo's cost. They would, you know, be, I think he can only be here for one year. I have to go look that up again. But I think it can only be a one-year deal. So it's, it, it can only be a one-year deal. And you can apply for it each year that he's out. And so they could apply for it this year. The problem with applying for the disabled player exception is you can no longer apply for medical retirement in the same year. So the Bulls could apply for medical retirement next year. But now there's a timing issue with this. I'm going to get into that in a second. And that makes it why you're not going to want to do this. So they should not apply for the disabled player exception. They're probably not going to use it anyway uh, because they're probably going to get enough back from re-signing Vooch and Kobe and probably won't even be able to use the full mid-level and stay under the tax. And you know they're going to stay under the tax, you know, with this team. So there's there's not like a lot of reason to, to have it. And I know people say, well, you'll have it in your back pocket just in case. You're not going to need it just in case. And here, here's why I think you don't want to have it. So if they can claim medical retirement for Lonzo instead, his money is just wiped off the books. In some ways, this is less advantageous uh, because they still will probably be over the cap. So they won't really be able to do anything with that money uh, except they'll be further away from the tax. Whereas if you had the disabled player exception, you could actually take a guy in who came off waivers. You could use it to claim a guy off waivers or you could take a a player in a trade, an unbalanced trade, so you would have more ways to use that money uh, while you're over the cap but under the tax. Uh, But you would not be able, in this case, use it and still be under the tax, so we won't use it. Uh, With the money freeing off the books, you won't use it either. Unless you could take an unbalanced trade, like you bring in more salary than you send out, would be one option, or if the bulls don't resign Vucevic and you're right near the cap, you could then use this money to being in a really unbalanced trade because now all of a sudden you're 20 million under the cap um, if you have the medical retirement. So here's the thing, though. I think not fully flesh this out, but I think my plan for the Bulls is don't sign anyone this year that extends past one year. Probably means you got to let Vooch walk. Probably means you got to let Kobe White walk. But I think you want to enter next year with like 70, 80 million in cap room and Alex Crusoe and Zach Levine is the only guys on your roster with Pat Williams uh, free, agent, free agency in front of you. I just think that's what you want to do. Uh, that, that's the chance it gives you to remake the whole team via free agency. The two guys who are going to be unrestricted free agents potentially, depending on what happens this offseason, would be Jalen Brown and DeMontis Sabonis. Now, would Jalen Brown, Damatis Sabonis, and Zach Levine be like a three-man core that I'd be like, wow, these guys are definitely going to be fantastic? No, not at all. Um, But but they're young, and it would be a core that's much better than what we have now. It would be kind of like the rich man's version of what we have now. Um, With the new rules, I think it would be difficult to get all three of those guys and then build pieces around them. So I don't know that I love that plan. You could also just be patient and try and build up pieces with with depth. It'll be interesting to see how the new salary cap rules affect people without the teams being able to spend just a gazillion dollars. A lot of people think it's going to force teams to squeeze the mid-level guys. I don't know that I think that's going to happen, but we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, But so I think think my best plan, even though I I don't think it's a great plan, I think my best plan is to hit the... uh, 2024 off season with like 70 80 million in cap use that money to take on bad salary gain draft picks gain assets whatever you got to do or you you can bring in actual star players if you're able to Uh, you can make unbalanced trades for star players because you don't need to send salary back you could maybe relieve some teams of like massive luxury tax debts because there's going to be a lot of teams looking to get out from under the uh the apron next summer so I think you're going to be able to gain a lot of assets by being able to have a lot of cap space. I just think it's like a, it would be a really intriguing possibility because some of the really bad apron rules come into effect that year. I think teams are going to be willing to, to dump decent players and draft picks just to get under because there's not going to be so many teams with just tons and tons of cap room. So I think, I think that's what I would do. Now, if you want to get $80 million under the cap, one of the things you need to do is you need to get Lonzo off your books entirely. Now, the time you could get lines off your books next year is gonna be too late. So the year starts July 1st. If you start applying for that medical exception in the next calendar year, it's gonna take, say, two months to review and agree on. And even if you agree on it, all of the deals are gonna be done because now it's gonna be you know September 1st. It's gonna be too late. So what you gotta do is you gotta wait until a point where you feel like, yep, it's in the bag that they're gonna grant this to us. So say you wait until Two years after this injury is up, you're now sitting here in January of 2024. And now you apply for the exception. Lonzo still can't go. And you're like, look, he's had three surgeries. The last one was this experimental thing that guys don't come back from. It's been two years since he's played. You know, we think he should be medically retired. You have an excellent chance to win that. And then now you also have him off the books. You know, maybe you can get him off the books before the trade deadline this year, which gives you some optionality at the trade deadline to do more interesting things. But the other thing is you get him off the books prior to the start of 2024 for agency. And so if you apply for the disabled player exception, you're not going to be able to do that uh, and also apply for that medical retirement this same year. And that's why I think it's more valuable to wait and go for the medical retirement. You wait long enough that you feel like you'll win uh, that thought. And I think you might be able to claim the disabled player exception now. Like I think someone might look at the situation and say, yeah, it's pretty reasonable he's not going to come back this year. But I don't think you would necessarily be able to get medical retirement now. And so I think that's the difference in, in why you would wait and do it this way. So that, that's kind of my thought there. I want to talk a little bit about Jimmy Butler. I was kind of taking notes about this prior to Game 7. So the Heat win Game 7. they to go to the finals. I got the Nuggets in 5 in the finals. Um, but I've bet against the Heat, I think, every series <laughs> except the Knicks. So, um, you know, hats off, hats off to the Heat, though. You know, it's one of these things where... When they made the finals in the bubble, you're kind of like, this is a little bit fluky. It's a little bit weird. You know, they beat the number one seed and the number two seed to get to the finals. Like, it's not like they didn't go through anyone. They got a little lucky with the Knicks, maybe, but you know, you beat the one, the five, and the three seed. That's, that's quite a, a, a route to get there. So, you know, hats off to them. One of the things I was going to say, people were like, this would be a permanent stain on Jimmy Butler's record if they were the last, the first team to come, blow a 3 0 lead. And I thought that was ridiculous, even at the moment. I'm like, you know what, like it's, he built up a 3-0 lead. They were like massive, massive underdogs. Um, you know, Miami has multiple injuries. Like Tyler Hero is out, and then Gabe Vincent went out for a game you know, and was hobbled in the next game. There's like a massive gap in their net ratings. Like I, just, I just don't think I would have thought any less of Jimmy Butler had they lost that game. But they didn't. They win the game. It's a little sad that basically the game was over in 30 seconds. Like, you didn't know it, but it was like, okay, Jason Tatum rolls his ankle. He's still staying out there. Maybe he'll be okay. But, no, he wasn't okay. He just he was grimacing every time he had to move quickly the rest of the game. They started guarding him with, like, Kyle Lowry at points because they're just like, yeah, we learned to guard this guy. He can't do anything. So the game was, I think, like kind of over at that point. No sympathy for Boston in that sense. Like I said, Miami had lost Tyler Hero for this entire playoff run. And, and it's still here. they lost Gabe Vincent for a game, and they they're still here. so you know what you got to overcome sometimes. so anyway, hats off to the heat hats off to Jimmy Butler for getting to the finals. I, I think Denver's going to absolutely smoke this team. I think they're going to smoke the Celtics too, uh, but it, just still an incredible achievement, just even to get there. and you know what I, I could understand why someone would say don't bet against the heat they'll, they'll find something like would it like shock you if like the nuggets were maybe a little bit I want to say Unprepared, but like not fresh or whatever. Like, you get these long layoffs, and teams sometimes struggle to like ramp back up to full activity and everything. Would it shock you if that happened and you know the Heat came in and somehow stole game one? I mean, like, nothing would shock me with this Heat team, but but I still have I still have a and five, so I guess it surprised me quite a bit. Uh, one other topic I want to talk a little bit is about culture, and you know, I think this is an interesting thing, it ties a little bit into the Butler stuff, you know, people talking about whether Butler is a leader and and how you set culture and how this like fits. I think Eric bolster had an interesting quote. And he said like the Miami heat never had to reset their culture. And that's why they were able to kind of rebuild quickly and maintain continuity. And, you know, it got me to think a little bit about like what culture means in a basketball team and how culture exists in a basketball team. And I think it's kind of a fascinating discussion. So I think, first of all, your culture is like not a thing that exists just due to management and coaching. Those guys can try to set a culture, but culture really exists based on your staff and employees, and in this case, that's the players. You know, you, you press a culture, you encourage a culture, you try and grow a culture, but if you just don't have the right people, it's not going to take hold. And the culture is often really set by your superstar player. Like, people will tend to follow the leader especially in a basketball sense like this is our on-court leader we are also going to tend to prepare the way he prepares and do the things he does and so Jimmy Butler in that way uh, is a good culture setter right like this is a dude who just works his butt off and everything else and so I've said Jimmy Butler is a poor leader before but I think he sets a great example like he's a great leader by example I think where he struggles is like if you don't fit the Jimmy Butler mold. He's just done with you. He's kind of like Michael Jordan in that sense. I've used that, that comparison. And I use that comparison because everyone is like reveres Michael Jordan. So I think like when I say that, people then aren't like, oh, wow, you just think he's, he's terrible. I don't. So Jimmy Butler is a guy who can kind of set that type of, of culture. And Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley, like at the top, they're guys who set that culture. And they probably look for guys that fit that culture. And when you think about that, it shows – how well Miami has been able to do with these undrafted players because they're finding guys who have the right work ethic, who work as hard, who fit into this winning type of culture. But it really takes someone like Jimmy Butler at the top of that to make that work. And so it kind of raises to me the question, does the players make the culture or or does the culture make the players? And I think in the end, it's mostly the players that make the culture like if you bring in a guy you bring in carl anthony towns into the miami heat he's not going to become different you're bringing ben simmons into the miami heat he's not going to become different he's not going to be like oh wow, well, what a great culture here now i'm gonna i'm gonna completely change my ways um you need you need the you need the players who have that culture to fit it but you bring in guys who are like already scrapping for their NBA lives and you set a good example for them. You bring your Caleb Martin, your Gabe Vincents, all of these guys who are, you know, like basically hanging out at the minimum, undrafted, just trying to make it in the league. You set a good example for them with your star player doing everything you can to win all this unselfishness, all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, those guys who are already willing to work because they haven't gotten the bag yet and they're just trying to hang on. Those guys, then they can be the best they can be due to that good culture that exists. And so that's a little bit how I think about it. But I think it's interesting to say you can't build your culture first. You have to get the players first. Like you're effectively swapping out 50% of the people on the team every year. And so, you know, culture in a very real sense is the cumulative addition of like how every player on the team you know, feels about the team and how they work and their attitudes and whatever. When you swap out half those people every year, culture is really easy to change both good or bad and very malleable. You know, it's just, it is, it is the attitude of everyone collectively. And so it's not really durable. And so if you're building a team, get it all tied back, you can't build a team by saying, I need to create a good culture first. Like that's just not how it works. (laughs) You need to get good players first and then the culture changes if those good players have good culture it's like how many teams have had a bad culture they draft a superstar and all of a sudden now they have a great culture like you know it's just that's just kind of how that works so anyway that's that's my thought on it I thought it was an interesting aside uh, whether you do or not and let me see what else do we got today so I'm going to flesh this out some little bit a little bit more but here is my best cohesive plan for the chicago bulls now, i got to find the details to fill in this plan a little bit but i, I just started taking notes on what i think they need to do uh, do not extend any contracts past this summer look for sign-in trades for nikola Vucevic. move to mar for expiring deals plus future assets uh, plan a medical retirement for lonzo as i mentioned assuming he doesn't come back and is able to play start like looking to do that around january You can sell Zach Levine on gutting this out one more year and saying, look, we're going to have a ton of cap space. And if we can't rebuild immediately next year, we'll trade you to the destination of your choice. We'll find a way to make it work. We'll get you where you want to go. Move Kobe in a sign and trade. You can shop Alex Caruso and see what you can get. You could also keep him. Um, I think it just depends what you get for him, but I'd probably look to shop him. You give Pat Williams the full keys to the house. <laughs> Let him run everything he has. Just see if there's something there. Like, we're not gonna have any questions about Pat Williams at the end of this year. You're just, just like, yep, you're, you're putting up 20 shots a game. Go figure it out. Go, you know, like, if you got it, we're gonna find out. Bring in whatever you can on one-year deals. And now, you enter 2024. This team's gonna be terrible, by the way. This is going to be bad. So you're going, to, you're going to now have a really good draft pick in 2024. You're going to have Zach Levine on his contract and maybe nothing else. Pat Williams, restricted free agency. Uh, Dalen Terry on his deal. And you're going to just have a ton of cap room. And like I said, you're going to have a lot of teams looking to get out of luxury tax. You're going to be able to make a lot of trades to either bring in talent on reasonable contracts. Like, I think you could just take Jordan Poole. Like, if you had cap room... I, the Warriors would just give you Jordan Poole if you wanted him. And I think there's going to be other guys at that, like that kind of level that you can just bring in if you want them. Now, do you want them is maybe another question, but I think if you did, you're going to have the options like that. But otherwise, you're going to maybe, maybe even be able to just be like, yeah, we'll take jo- uh, Jordan Poole, and you're going to give us a, an unprotected draft pick in like 2027. We, we need both those things to take them off your hands. I, there's going to be stuff like that that's available. So you prepare yourself to take advantage of other teams. And you prepare yourself to maybe be able to sign, you know, big-name players. So maybe, maybe in this case you get Jalen Brown. And I know Jalen Brown at this exact moment coming off eight turnovers in game seven and not really playing that well doesn't look like, you know, super amazing as a guy that you want to get on a Zach Levine-level max contract. And, and maybe he's not. But he's 26 years old. You know, still, still can get better. So anyway, I think that's my best plan to get the Bulls back to kind of like younger talented and flexible. You know, I looked, I looked at those three things. Like you wanna have a long, long, longer time horizon than you have now. Your time horizon now is very short. You wanna improve the talent and you wanna improve your cap positioning and your flexibility. And, and this is the plan I think does that. So I do gotta go out and look for DeMar Deals and Vooch Deals and try and find you know, good, uh, good trades out there. There was a couple of questions I got. One was, uh, where have Bull's assistance gone? And I tried to look and it's like basically nowhere. Adrian Griffin is like the one guy who was a Bulls assistant who's now become a head coach. And uh, he, you know, that just happened a couple of days ago. So I don't think the Bulls have had a long history of of their assistants going out and doing great things. Maybe we'll just just put it that way. Um, What would I do to set the culture of the front office was another question that came in. I discuss culture quite a bit generally. I think front office culture is a little different than team culture just to be, to be clear, you, you still sort of want the same thing. Like you want your front office guys to be grinders. You want them to work hard. You want them to be like looking everywhere and covering things over the margins. You want them, you know, whatever. You want them be, to have this like great work ethic and stuff. It's, it's different than, than player culture in, a way, in, in many ways. But if I was looking for the front office culture, I, I mean, I work in management and I would say the first thing that would be important to me is that everyone knows their voice can be heard You're never going to be punish someone for speaking up. You want all the voices in the room. uh, And you want people to feel confident that they can speak up without it becoming a negative situation. Um, Otherwise, you want people who are going to work hard. You want people who are smart. You want people who are going to put in the effort and also make good decisions. And you want a variety of voices. You want people who can think outside the box and in different ways. You want people who can be creative and, and come up with different plans. So those would be kind of the traits that I'm looking for Um, You know, some ways you enact those traits are whenever you are dealing with people who have a different level of power dynamic, you never shut them down. You're very conscientious about how you react to their ideas. If you disagree, someone ever criticizes you, you just say, thank you for letting me know. You never like fire back. You never defend yourself. Uh, Someone gives you information. You never say, oh, I know already. You just say, thank you for telling me. I really appreciate it. You do all these little things. Uh, to encourage communication, even if like the communication was unnecessary, because the second you ever shut someone down, they just never talk with you again. You know, the the first time someone gives you some constructive feedback, and you say, "Yeah, no, I already knew that," or "I don't think that's true," you'll never get it again. The first time you know, so, someone gives you some information about like I uh, I just heard this thing," and you say, "I already knew that," they'll never give you information again. So I, a lot of it is preparing yourself to be a good listener and making sure everyone else follows that same culture to just make everyone feel really confident and empowered to do their jobs like that. That's how I would go about trying to build, you know, front office uh, culture is, is looking to get those traits. Um, you know, there's more to culture. You'd be looking for people who are really smart. Like I said, different thinkers. You want people to attack problems in a variety of ways, et cetera. That's not necessarily how I'd view culture, but, but still an important thing. Anyway, uh, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Hopefully, I will get some chance to dig into sign-and-trade destinations for Roach, destinations for Zach or DeMar and trades otherwise to try and flesh out my uh, 2024 plan for the Chicago Bulls. And I'll talk to you guys sometime soon.